The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for your love and for your word. We pray now that as we prepare our hearts to hear from you, that God, your Holy Spirit would bring these words to life in us, uh, that we would be in you and our lives would be open for you to be in us. Let your word penetrate us, transform us, and shape us into the people you've called us to be. Give me the words that you want me to share this morning. We ask all of this in your name we pray. Amen. John chapter 6 is where we are today. We're going to start in 22, and we're going to cover almost 50 verses. That's a lot. I'm going to, I'm going to narrate a lot of it, kind of tell you the story, the main points of some of it, but we're going to read through it all so you see it all in its entirety, and then we'll go back and kind of break, break it up. Um, where we've been, though, is on this journey uh, with Jesus. Uh, we've spent about a year um, in the Bible time frame. It's been about six months for us almost, uh, and we've covered about six chapters. What we've seen is that as people draw closer to Jesus and get to know him, a lot of people want the Jesus that's going to give them wine. I mean, unending wine? Who doesn't want that? We, a lot of people want the Jesus who can give them bread. Last week we saw the crowds be be uh, just odd how Jesus turned a small kid's lunchable into enough food to feed over 5,000. We love the Jesus that wants to heal the sick. Uh, who doesn't want uh, to be made better? There's a lot of people who love Jesus for what he can do and for the things he can bring. Uh, John keeps telling us that Jesus keeps doing these signs and these crowds keep coming to see the great, awesome, wonderful Oz that he is. Uh, doing all these signs and these mighty works. But here Jesus is going to, again, draw us in a little deeper. He's going to confront the crowd uh, and basically say, you know what? You keep wanting the blessings. You keep wanting the healings. You want the bread. But when are you going to come and see that all of these are just signs pointing to me? Today, we're going to see finally a line being drawn and many people turn and walk away. That's ultimately what happens, one of two major things. Uh, when we come to know who Jesus is, we either come to know him and who he is and his love for us, and we want more of him. We want to be drawn in. We want to be closer. And others simply turn and walk away. We want that Jesus who will do for me, but when it comes to the Jesus who who has authority and who speaks against some deeply held belief in our own eyes, then we're not sure we agree with him and want to follow him. A lot of people come to Jesus for the Jesus things that he can do, but not for who he truly is. Today we're going to see the first of seven I am statements that John is going to teach us that Jesus said. Today we're going to see him say, I am the bread of life. So let's go ahead and dive in and take a look as this unfolds. Uh, when I was a teenager, my mom had the opportunity at times to get uh, food that we would sometimes use ourselves. Sometimes we'd give it away to families in need. And, and they were usually places from like, I mean, food from places like food banks or, or grocery stores that were just getting rid of stuff. And this one particular time, I remember seeing my mom bring in some cases, and she sorted out the good stuff from the not-so-good stuff, 
the stuff that was okay to be handed out and the stuff that either needed to be trashed or just wasn't so good. And in the pile that wasn't so good, there was this case of peanut butter Twix. How dare she put a case of peanut butter Twix in the not-so-good pile? It was about to go to the trash can. I've never heard of a candy bar going bad, and so I took it for myself. Later that night, I feasted. I think I ate about 20, 24 candy bars. How many, how many of you have ever had peanut butter Twix? I don't even know if they make them anymore. But, man, I loved each and every one. Uh, at first, I just ate it. Like, you'd just open it and eat it, just kind of shove it in. Then I was like, that was kind of good. But I wonder if I just eat the peanut butter part first. And I just kind of did like that, like you do corn on the cob and just ate the peanut butter and then the cookie wafer. And, man, it was so good. Finally, I went to sleep, and at about 4 in the morning, something decided to wake me up. I wasn't quite sure what it is. Uh, my tummy wasn't feeling too good, and so I rolled over, and that was not good. Because as soon as I rolled over, it all came out. Um, it went everywhere. It was delicious going in, but it wasn't so good coming out. What does that have to do with Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Let's read it. So we saw last week the story of uh, the crowds forming. Uh, This is Passover again. Remember, Passover is such an important day uh, for the Israelites. Um, It it sums up their identity. Who they are is found in the way that God took them out of captivity in Egypt. Um, The Passover where they were set free, where the angel passed over, the angel of God passed over and And Pharaoh lost his firstborn son. And those who had sacrificed a lamb, they were told if they were to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood that was shed, and if they were to put it on the doorposts of their home, they would identify themselves with the true God. And the angel of God would pass over their home, sparing them and preparing them to be free. And those who were not covered by the blood of the lamb, would deal with judgment. This, of course, Jesus was stepping into the midst of this story. The people knowing this great Passover tale of how the people were saved, um, the way that Pharaoh finally gave in and set them free, and they traveled through the wilderness being led by Moses, how they crossed through on dry ground through the, the Red Sea, how they wandered and were fed in the wilderness by Bread from heaven, bread called manna. And this is the backdrop in which Jesus decides to say, this is all about me. And so he feeds the people, about 5,000 are there, plus their families. Uh, Take this room times five and add a few more. A huge crowd, and Jesus feeds them. And they're not quite done with him yet. They wonder where he's gone. The next day, Jesus has gone, and he's crossed over to his hometown, Capernaum. And the people are looking for him. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone on alone. Other boats from Tiberias had come to that place uh, where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. 
When they found him on the other side of the sea, they came and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate and had your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then he said to them, then they said to him, okay, if, if you're really what you say you are, and it, you're, you're talking about this food that, that won't perish, what do we do to have this food? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who the Father sent. The type A in them wanted the nine steps to salvation. They wanted the, the, the six things they had to stop in order to gain God's favor. They were all about doing. These were people who were religious to the utmost. They had memorized huge portions of scripture. They had obeyed the 613 plus laws that were passed on to them. They had a religious practice for almost everything they did. And now Jesus is sitting here saying, if you really want the blessings of the Father, food that will never perish, you must come to him. Okay, what must we do? Tell us the nine things. Tell us the six things to stop doing. Tell us the ten things that will transform our lives forever. They wanted a list. And Jesus said, here's your list. Believe in him, the one he has sent. We, as Christians, must come to a place of continued, fuller understanding that we cannot earn God's favor by what we do. But what about evangelism? What about taking care of the poor? All of those things are good and important. But if we start think, start at those places thinking that if we somehow go to church enough, read enough of the Bible, pray enough, memorize enough, tell enough people without truly loving Jesus and feasting on him daily, then all of that is pointless. We can good work ourselves to death. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that there will be many who stand before God at the end of time. Having proclaimed all the works they had done in his name. And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's possible for us to be so religious that we miss the relationship that Jesus wants with us. Those things are important. But where are we with our life with Jesus? Do we feast on him? Do we have a loving relationship with him? Where does that come from? We're going to get to it in a few minutes. Yes, we are called to do good works, but good works come from a life that has been transformed by the Spirit and, and, and out of obedience and love for a Christ who loved us and gave his life for us. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. There are several things throughout history several ways that we as mankind have hungered and thirst, several ways that we have felt an angst and emptiness within inside us. Uh, no matter what you um, 
no matter what you believe, Christian or not, the readings of Aristotle and Plato point to us having an internal angst with inside of us that, that we seek to either quench or fulfill or numb ourselves so we don't miss it. Isaiah 55 tells us, Isaiah says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear so that your soul may live. We in this world, we desire to fill our longing with many different things. Uh, in a book by uh, put out by Village Church, a class they teach called Recovering Redemption, they kind of summarize it in four wells, if you will, that we try to fill. The first one being self-improvement. I want to be a better version of myself. How many of you have ever thought that about yourself? I'd like to be better. A better husband, a better friend, a better brother, a better soccer player, a better fill-in-the-blank. That's not evil in and of itself. We should strive to be the best in everything we do. But many of us, this is our idol. We're seeking to do everything we can to make ourselves better. Doing this, trying that, taking this article, doing that quiz, joining this class, going to this club, joining this gym. And it, we will never become the better we think we should be because, you know what, there's always going to be someone better. There's always going to be somebody, a, a way for us to think that we have not yet attained. And the question we ask ourselves is, the question we ask ourselves is, do I matter? Am I good enough? Do I matter? Am I the, as good a husband as I can be? As I'm, am I as good a, a father as I can be? Uh, and we want this better version of ourselves instead of drawing closer to the one who can make us everything that we could ever desire in him. Not that he seeks to make us who we think we ought to be, but as we draw close to him, our desires become his desires. And he begins to transform our heart to see ourselves the way he sees us. I want to be a better person. Number two, the second thing we often try to fill ourselves with or fill our emptiness with is something else to satisfy us. We want to know that we're loved. In the first scenario, we want to know, do I matter? In the second scenario, we want to know, am I lovable? Will you love me? And so we look to fill our emptiness in our relationship, in our spouse. Will you complete me? There is nobody in this life that is ever going to fill your areas of weakness outside of the life of Christ. You can have great relationships, best friends, a wonderful marriage. But if all that you're seeking to fulfill is found in somebody else, they will always let you down. They will always fall short. Because we were not designed to be completed by anybody else but by Jesus. Number three. We seek to fill our longings with stuff, possessions, or position. We 
compare ourselves to all that we see in this world with all of its treasures. We scroll through our feeds, seeing the great vacations people are taking, seeing the new cars people are buying, seeing the new wardrobes people are getting, seeing the new jobs people are are getting hired for. And we wonder, do I measure up? Do I measure up? And we keep scrolling, hearing the lies that are being told to ourselves that we're simply not good enough. And number four, many times we even seek for fulfillment in religion. How many tasks can I do to somehow make myself feel better and in the eyes of others make myself look better? If I go to church enough, if I serve enough, if I volunteer enough, if I buy a big enough Bible, if I worship enough, is there something I can do? And in in the pursuit of religion, many have missed the relationship that God desires. Why do you seek for satisfaction and food that will simply perish? Instead, these are the works that God calls you to to believe in him, the one he he has sent. And so they pressed him and they said, okay, then what sign do you have to show us that we may see and, and finally believe in you? How many more works does this crowd need? But they press. What can you perform for us? Our fathers, you know about them, Jesus, the ones in the desert, the ones in the wilderness. They ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread, the bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus paused them and he says, wait a minute. First of all, it wasn't Moses. It was my father who gave you bread. And my father also now gives you true bread. The bread that you ate, the bread that they ate, they ate and they still died. But whoever eats of me will never die. Verse 33 says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. And still not getting it, they they respond back. Verse 34, And so they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Their, Their minds are still stuck on the bread they ate yesterday. They want their physical fill. They want a king who can keep giving them food and wine and healing their sick. Yes, we'll make you our king as long as you keep serving us. You can be anything you want as long as you keep meeting our needs. Give it to us, Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing their understanding and their lack of understanding, drops these words, verse 35. Circle it, highlight it. Jesus said to them, I'm not just here to give you bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. This cuts to their core. Jesus' words, I am, are not simply like in our English language. I can say to you, I am John Cousins. That's who I am. Jesus says, I am who I am. It would sound weird if I were to say John Cousins is John Cousins. Jesus has the ability to say this because he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. In Exodus chapter 3, God has chosen Moses to send him to set the Israelites free. 
And Moses is kind of freaking out. He's stuttering. He's like, God, you got to pick somebody else. You don't know what I did back there. Oh, yes, I know what you did back there. I'm sending you anyway. No, God, there's got to be somebody else. Go, God says. Okay, okay. If I go, who am I to tell them sent me? Exodus chapter 3, God says, tell them, I am has sent you. Translated, this word can mean Jehovah or Yahweh. This is the name of God. This is not just Jesus saying, I am a carpenter. I am the son of Mary and Joseph. I am uh, one who lives here in Capernaum. He's not just making a statement about what he's done, but who he is. Jesus says, the one that you have come to trust in, the one who names himself I am, the one who, they, they were so fearfully respectful of God that they would not even write his name. They would take the name Jehovah or Yahweh and they would write Y-H-W-H, leaving the vowels out because they thought it would be disrespectful to say God's name in vain. And they wanted to be careful not to even write it unless it was written uh, with the right meaning. And Jesus enters that backdrop and says, I am. That's me. And we're going to see him say I am seven more times as we go through this study together. I am the bread of life. I am is who he is. And no matter what you believe about him does not change who he is. No matter what we believe about God does not change who God is. Just like no matter what we think about the sun does not change the sun. Well, I don't know that the sun's that hot. Well, too bad it is. You get too close, you will burn up. What you think about the sun does not change the sun. What we think about Jesus or God does not change who he is. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I did not just come to give you bread, but I am your bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Okay, again, they're hearing Jesus say, okay, he's the great baker. He was a carpenter, but he's given that up. Now he's going to start cooking food. And they still want this Jesus. Okay, fine, call yourself whatever you want. Just give us bread. Give us food. Give us wine. Heal us. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you still don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of, of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but to raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, me, and believes in him, should have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. He's, he's echoing those same words from John chapter 5. They believed that only God could give life, and they believed that only God could judge, and only God determined your eternal resting place. And here Jesus is attributing to, those, to himself all of those things. I give life. I will judge. I will determine what happens to you and your future. And on the last day, it will be me that decides whether or not you will be raised to life. So the Jews 
grumbled about it. You know, it's funny in the Old Testament, they had just, they had just said, Jesus, what are you going to do? Our forefathers were fed manna by Moses. And Jesus says, you know what? They were fed manna, and yet they still died. And if you go back and read the history of your, your people, you're going to see that even though God fed them daily, each and every day, they still complained. And here, the bread of life is standing before you. In verse 41, you're still grumbling. When will you ever have your eyes and your heart opened and see who God truly is and the one standing before you? You are still grumbling today. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we actually know? I mean, they're in Jesus' hometown where he spent a lot of his time. We're in the town of Capernaum right now. Many of us who visited Israel, um, I'm going to keep talking about this so much that it's going to make all of you finally go one day. But we got to stand in the synagogue where Jesus said these words. And he stands to them and says to them, I am the bread of life. How can he be saying this? We know him. His dad is Joseph. His mother is Mary. How, how does he now say that he's come from heaven? Jesus answered them, verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me. You're not going to be able to understand this unless the Father teaches you. No one can come to the Father uh, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. For it is written by the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard has learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father, but truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This, myself, I am the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of me and not die. Verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And so now he's going to say a couple other words. You're going to freak them out a little bit more. And many of them, again, spiritually blinded are not going to understand and the words that I'm about to read you are going to sound a little crazy. But now we have the beauty of looking back from our point of view in history, looking back through the cross, looking back at how Jesus gave up his life, how his body was broken, how his blood was shed in our place. We can look back to the Last Supper when Jesus was with his close friends and his disciples, and he took the bread. It was the Passover meal. And they ate that bread remembering what God had done for the Israelites of old. And Jesus said, no longer look back to the past, but look to me. I am the bread of life. He takes the bread and says, as you eat of this, this bread will be broken for you. Eat of this bread, remembering me. Taste of this cup, remembering the blood that will be shed for you. We see here in John chapter 6, the institution, the beginning of the Lord's Supper. And I'm sure it freaked them out. They didn't understand exactly how to take it, but look at Jesus' words. 51 again, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. 
Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that your forefathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. There was a ton of people there who had no idea what he was talking about. In early church history, we see that there were many who criticized Christianity because they thought it was cannibalistic. Even in their own text, it talks about eating flesh and drinking blood. Don't follow their ways. They're crazy. Jesus, of course, was pointing to a symbolic food that many of us partake in often when we eat of the bread and and taste of the cup when we take communion. Jesus was sitting here saying that the only way that you can truly believe in me is to be in me and to allow me to be in you. When you go to eat a meal, you don't just look at the meal and are fed by it. You have to eat it. You don't just take pictures of the meal and enjoy it, although many of you, your Instagram feeds are filled with all the food you eat. Unless you eat of it, it does no good for you. And unless we take Jesus in and feast on him daily, we will never truly live. It's not enough just to know about our food, to know the calories that are in it, to know what ingredients have made it up. It's not enough to know how it was prepared. It's not enough to look upon it. We have to take it in. In the same way, it's not enough to just know Jesus' name and the clever sayings and to read his word and to pray to him. We have to take Jesus in. Many want to believe in a Jesus that will give them food. Many want to believe in a Jesus that will give them wine, who will heal their sick. But Jesus says, unless you take me into your life, unless you eat of me, you will never truly live. Many of the disciples heard this and said, this is a hard saying. What is he talking about? Disciples, you know what disciples are? Disciples are followers. They want to make this man his teacher. I mean, who wouldn't want a teacher that can produce unending wine, unending food, and heal all our illnesses? Yes, we'll we'll be your student. And now he wants us to eat his flesh? I don't get this. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can even listen to this? But Jesus, verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? 
Now, Jesus had much more than 12 disciples. We typically think of the 12 disciples. We know that there were crowds and crowds of people that considered themselves followers and disciples of Jesus. And many of them were about to walk away. Verse 62. What would happen, Jesus says, if you were to see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It's not enough just to do the works of your flesh. It's not enough just to memorize the scriptures and obey the laws and and, and give a tithe and help the poor. You have to know the source from which the law has come. You have to know me. You have to submit your life to me and not just religious duty. I have come that you will feast of me, that you would die to yourself and become alive in me. But there are some of you that do not believe, verse 64. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe in him and who it would be that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And one, most, one of the most heartbreaking verses of John is John six sixty six, where it says, after this, after Jesus made it clear, I'm not just here to give you bread, I'm here to be your bread. I'm not just here to perform for you, I want you to find your life in me. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Where are you with Christ? Where are you with the one who gave everything for us. The scriptures talk about us not just knowing Christ, but us being in Christ and Christ being in us. Reitmeyer defines it like this. In Christ is an expression of intimate interrelatedness. It is in the person, and yet at the same time, the person is in it. The Bible is serious about what it means to be in Christ. It's found eight times in the book of Galatians, 34 times in the book of Ephesians, 18 times in the book of Colossians. It is used as an instrumental device. How does God save? How does God forgive? How does God give life? How does God resurrect? How does God move? How does God heal? He does so in Christ. It's also used in a descriptive sense. Where are the sons and daughters of God? They are in Christ. It's also used in a locus sense. What is the apex of Christian life? It is life in Christ. Like the air that we breathe, we are in it, and as we breathe, it is in us. So it is with the Christian. The Christian is in Christ, and Christ is in the Christian. I am in Christ, and he is in me. The defining reality of my life is that I am in him, and he is in me. My life is not just about listening to the teachings of Jesus and trying to imitate them. Rather, the resurrection power of Jesus dwells in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I am in him, and he is in me. I am in him, and he is in me. I am in him. And he is in me. 
this should be the rhythm of our life. So I am able to live with courage. I am able to live with joy. Regardless of the highs and lows of my life, I am steadfast because I am in him and he is in me. Where do you stand with Jesus? Do you just worship him from afar, seeing him as a great example and model to to walk after with your life? I told you about a conversation I had two weeks ago with a a lady who looked to Jesus as a great teacher, a wonderful healer. She had tried many different religious principles, many moral paths, considered herself a very spiritual, good person. But there were still things in her life that she couldn't figure out how to get rid of. And she just wanted to now give Jesus a try. Jesus is not here to try out. You are either in him or you are not. He is either in you or he is not. There will be many who stand before him saying, look at all the works we did in your name. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have no part in me. Many turn and walk away. So Jesus turned and said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, and we have believed you. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. As we bring our time to a close, what Jesus wants us to hear crystal clear is he is not just here to give us bread. He is here to be our bread. He is here to be the essence of our life that which brings life. We can seek to fill the desires and the emptiness of our souls and all that the world has to offer and all of its promises and pleasures. And we will be left empty and wanting. It's only in Christ that we can truly find life and find the hope that he offers. Even in the midst of trials and struggles and storms, he is there to be our one and only. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. Where are you with Christ? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you, in your Son, Jesus Christ, became flesh and became one of us. We are grateful that you gave up your life in our place, allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be shed. Not just another good sacrificial lamb, but the only sacrificial lamb. The only one who could truly forgive us and cleanse us and make us whole. Father God, 
we search for answers and for completeness in many things. But help us to see that our completeness, our forgiveness, our wholeness can only be found in you. So God, I pray that as we are here today, that we would not just look at you as a good example, as a good teacher, as a good example to model our life after, but the bread of life. The only way that we can truly be satisfied and made right with you. The only way that we can be forgiven and made whole is through you. So God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come, you would help us to open up our hearts and lives that we would feast on you in your way, your teachings, your promises, your truth. You said, if you love me, obey my commands. Help us to obey out of knowing who you are and loving who you are. And out of response of who you are and all that you've done for us, we would then live.